Are you taking a reactive or proactive approach to your taxes? Do you wait until the year is over and hope for the best when tax time comes around? Is your business taking accurate tax deductions and receiving all the tax credits you deserve? Welcome to the Tax Answers Advisor with Marcelino Dodge. Today, we will answer these questions and many more. So sharpen your pencil and take some notes. Now, here is your host, Marcelino Dodge. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tax Answers Advisor. So happy to have you here. This is Marcelino Dodge up on show number 39 and enjoying the wild ride. Another one today is we're going to extend our appreciation to a worldwide audience, not just the U.S., but those in China and Korea. You're certainly welcome in other parts of Europe that listen to this podcast. It's great to have you all as a part of uh, our audience there. Also, if you're listening on this, you can have multiple platforms such as uh, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Amazon Music, and many other that you can listen to this on. So easy to find us if you just do a little look there. We discuss many topics on this, and as today, we're discussing about buying and selling a business, but anything that comes up that we've discussed in the past or we discussed today, you're certainly welcome to email me at success at cashtracksfinancial.com or give a call, which is 844-394-4287. You can schedule a free mutual exploration session to see if our services are what you need to help you to be doing better financially, either in your business or even personally. We provide those services and you can schedule your appointment directly actually at cashtracksfinancial.com on the homepage. You just scroll a little bit, click on schedule an appointment, and we can do that through video conference uh, just so you can be comfortable and we can have a nice way to serve everyone across the country and be able to help you out, especially tax-wise. And as I mentioned about it earlier, we're talking about buying and selling a business today. Now, it seems like kind of odd with all the strange things going on, but people are still buying and selling businesses. But there are some cautions you got to have, especially tax-wise, which is why we're going to talk about today the tax challenges and headaches of buying and selling a business. And to do so, I invited uh, Gennaro Carteropoli today, a CPA with 12 years experience in public accounting in large and small firms. He's now the owner of Hortonus CPAs, uh, offering tax and consulting services in the Fox Valley. He's from Wisconsin and has a master's in professional accountancy from uh, the UW Whitewater. Great. It's having Gennaro here with uh, He's also worked as a lead tax specialist with the National Association of Tax Professionals, which also in our line of business is known as just NATP, which I'm also a member of myself. And that's how I met Gennaro and met a lot of fine tax professionals that I'm having on this program. And it's just great to be able to share and expand not only my own knowledge, but then help you as a listener do this. And also he's uh, worked as a senior tax associate at Grant Thornton, where he actually began his public accounting career and oversaw and reviewed engagement in large companies with businesses in all 50 of the, United, of the U.S. states. And that's, that's great experience there. Wonderful experience in technical knowledge and tax law and incorporates this into his own advisory services that he offers to people and individuals there. So I just want to extend a big warm welcome to you today, Gennaro. It's fabulous having you on the program. 
Thank you so much, Marcelino. It's a pleasure being here and it's a pleasure being here in front of the audience um, and to be able to extend the knowledge that I've learned throughout many of the listeners in right now, um, because there's, you know, there's one thing that's common with accounting and tax is that it's clear as mud. And it's, it's always helpful to be able to, it's always enriching to be able to help explain it in simple terms for people to understand, to make informed and wise decisions in what they're doing. And in this case, buying and selling a business. Mm-hmm. Yes, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to start doing this program is, is to just help individual people. Because I've noticed a lot of podcasts seem directed more to professionals, and uh, at least the ones I found anyway. But I really want to help a lot of individuals because I always, and I'm sure you do the same thing, just try to get things clearly explained to help people make the best tax decisions. So as we jump into it now, how do I know as a person on the street looking to buy a business or even sell it, how do I know what the value of my business is there? That's a great question. And oftentimes that actually starts the lead of a lot of inquiries, whether you're buying or selling a business, uh, because if you're selling, you want to know what you can obtain from that. It's all your uh, sweat equity that's poured into the business over years um, that at the final sale, you're looking to uh, to obtain or get back from. Um, on the buying end, of course, you want to make sure you're not overpaying. Um, and hopefully, you know, sometimes some people try to look for a good deal on a business. Um, but, um, you know, but the value is, is ultimately based uh, in a lot of sense on the cash flow that you're looking at from the business. Um, so, so like the first thing, oftentimes I get a lot of um, inquiries that I, I hear uh, about rules of thumbs. So the first thing I always want to talk about are the rules of thumb, because that's very practical. And that's what people mm-hmm. often first times hear. Um, so, for example, someone might look to a, a bar or restaurant and say, oh, the, I've heard that it's 40 percent of sales plus inventory or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and or uh, in case of an accounting practice, I heard it's one times gross sales, something that uh, you probably heard several times, mm-hmm. Marcelino, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And uh, so the problem with that, um, with these rules of thumb or easy ways to um, to calculate a value is that they ignore a lot of important factors mm-hmm. about a business. Uh, similar to real estate, uh, the location is a big factor. So where's the business located? Uh, that's a huge item, especially are you in a well-populated area? Are you mm-hmm. out in an area where it's hard? to market. Um, that's an, an, a value that's that's uh, difficult to measure, but it also it can ignore, you know, depending on what the business is, the clientele, the value of that, the customer list, the, you know, the contracts that the business may have acquired over the years, and the goodwill. Um, and so, that's the first thing um, that I always like to dispel these rules of thumb, because they do ignore a lot mm-hmm. of those factors. Um, now, the second thing some people look to is say, let's take the profit times three or four times, an mm-hmm. easy way to go about it. What's the profit of the business? Uh, have you heard of that, Marcelino, profit times three or four times? That is one I've heard. And a lot of the items that you're mentioning there are, are all just, as you mentioned, rules of thumbs, things that you hear from just kind of general business people around. Well, it's X amount or you say three times or one times of gross sales for the for the uh, tax area or, or accounting. So a lot of these... But as you mentioned, I understand it takes a lot more than just these items. There's a lot more to it than just these and just what the sales are in those, or those kind of areas. Definitely. 
Absolutely. So now that's after discussing that. Now we get into really the nuts and bolts of what, you know, what if you were to uh, appraise a business or uh, Mm -hmm. hire a professional to do a business valuation. Um, There's several methods and I'll try not and I can go. This can be an Mm -hmm. all day course in of itself, (laughs) Uh, but to to take the nuts and bolts of it and to make it into a simplified version. uh, There's three different methods or three different elements that we look at as, uh, you know, when we appraise or value businesses as CPAs. You know, we look at, of course, the profits, the one, a very important piece um, because you're mm-hmm. eventually you're buying a business because you want to make a profit. Um, now, does that mean though, like in that other sense that we're talking about three or four times profit? So if the business has ran at a loss over years, does that mean it's worthless? Um, the answer to that might is is typically still no, um, because you take three, four times negative, and you say, "Well, you got to pay me to take over the business," and sometimes <laughs> that is the case, yeah. <laughs> you know. But um, yeah. you know, but um, it, but you're ignoring other aspects that we look at when we appraise a business, such as the assets involved, the mm-hmm. real estate, the property, the equipment, the um, you know, and what's been put into the business. And just like real estate, if you remodel your kitchen, you're not going to get that back dollar for dollar when you sell. But it is an important factor in when you're buying a business or selling it for that matter. We all like to think that when we're on the selling side too, that what we have is worth more than what it actually might be. Mm-hmm. Uh, very yes. common of us we're kind of attached to it, especially if it's a business you grew up from start, you know, that's your baby. Um, the second, and, and so there's so the income, the assets, and the last part is the market approach. Uh, mm-hmm. And what that means is we compare to other businesses that have been reported, you know, as far as sales of similar size compared to their gross sales, um, their, uh, their ratios, such as, you know, very ratios we can talk all day, such as your assets compared to liabilities is a big one, um, and say, what did that sell for? Again, I like to compare it to real estate, not that it's the, you know, the pure thing to compare to, but, mm-hmm. um, but you know, a number might say that this is what it is based off profit, but if everyone else wants to pay a premium for this type of business, you know, because maybe there's a safety in that because it's mm-hmm. a very uh, low risk type of business that people tend to pay more for that type of business, that that impacts the value. Just like if everyone, just like right now, real estate's through the roof, no pun mm-hmm. intended, um, yes. that normally you might say, well, it's not worth 200,000. Well, right now it is because everyone's buying it. So mm-hmm. so we blend those three approaches to appraise the business and come up with the value. That's the proper way. And, uh, and that's what I would suggest, especially when you're looking at a large purchase. Uh, right now we're looking at one that potentially in the millions of dollar range so they certainly want to make sure that they're not over, that it's overpaying for this business. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Overpaying is one thing. And then, of course, if you're on the other side, you're selling, you don't want to sell it for too little as well. Absolutely. Uh, like I said earlier, it's your your blood, sweat, and equity you've put in, poured over the years. And sometimes for many people, yours, the sale of your business is your retirement effectively. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so you want to make sure you get what's, what it's worth, what it's mm-hmm. worth for. Uh, unlike real estate, where there's an open market for everyone mm-hmm. to easily compare prices, businesses is a little bit more difficult. And, uh, you know, sometimes I like to focus and advise through the whole process is, 
you really got to focus on the relationship between the buyer and seller, especially if a seller is staying on board for a couple of years, because mm-hmm. in a way, sometimes that the, the success of both can depend on the operations mm-hmm. and uh, transparencies of utmost importance during this process. Okay, yes. And part of that value, too, is making sure that your business is basically doing good anyway. Don't, don't, don't wait till it's going down or whatever, but send, which is maybe you work with some on this, but if, if you're looking at, at it as retirement, are you actually planning the sale? Are you looking like two or three years, maybe five, 10 years down the road? Okay, I want to sell this business. I need to make sure it's at a certain level to be able to sell it so that it'll be it so I can get the value there, not just, not just wait, oh, you're from, oh, I'm going to sell it, but wait a minute, you need, you, but yet it's not doing the way doing as good as it could be or should be for you to be able to get that maximum value out of it. I love that you bring that up, Marcelino, because that's such a practical thought because some people will wake up, you know, not everyone wakes up one day and you wake up in the morning, take a sip of coffee and say, I'm going to sell my business. It's usually over time you you start thinking about that. And once you know that you're going to do that, um, you really want to start the process now of working on key metrics of your business to get the maximum value. Again, I like to compare to real estate because it's such a common like thing that we can all relate to. But would what would you be willing to, would you be willing to pay more for a house that's move-in ready, you know, freshly painted, you know, mm-hmm. lawns cut, you know, uh, just freshly renovated? Absolutely be more willing to pay more for that than something that needs a that's a handyman special or needs some TLC. So you're obviously going to pay less for that because you need to do some work to get it to a good operation. Um, so especially with businesses, you know, sometimes some you know sellers are burnt out and mm-hmm. when they're selling, and at that point. Um, you know, you got to, if you want to get maximum value, sometimes you have to dig deep a little and improve mm-hmm. some of the metrics of your business, uh, such as profitability um, or, you know, your cash position in order to sell and get a top dollar for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, when you go into selling or even buying there, an important thing, and I had to deal with this a few years ago in, in consulting with an individual who was buying a business, uh, but we need to look at or at least closely examine, am I going to buy the stock of the business or am I going to buy the asset of the business and vice versa if I'm, if I'm selling it as well there? What, what do you find in these differences between the stock purchase or an asset sale or what do you encounter more when this? Great question. And something that's, a, it's a, such an important factor and sometimes overlooked because uh, I will sometimes ask that as the starting point of a new client, are you buying the stock or, or the, the assets? And, and they'll look at me for a minute and pause and say, I told you I'm buying the business. And, <laughs> and as, but the, again, the, the, the way you're doing it is important because there's two main ways you can do that. Like you mentioned, you can purchase the stock or if it's an LLC, the units, um, you know, or you can purchase the, the underlying assets for that matter. And the, the importance from both a tax and legal perspective cannot be understated in this approach. High level, sellers typically would prefer a stock sale, whereas buyers mm-hmm. would prefer, typically prefer an asset sale. Maybe you've encountered that as well, Marcelino. Mm-hmm. I've encountered that some too, uh, although in the, case of the, in the cases I've worked with, it's, it's actually been more asset sales that we've done, not stock sales. So. 
I, I, I would agree. Um, and, you know, that oftentimes you see more asset sales and there's reason, very good reasons for that. Um, differences, you know, for, you know, start with a couple basic legal ones. When you buy a stock sale, you're buying along with that all the liabilities that go along with the company, mm-hmm. as well as hidden ones you may not be aware of. If there's, mm-hmm. uh, for example, if there's a, a lawsuit that's brewing that is unknown to anyone, you taking over as a, as a buyer, as a stock sale, you are now taking over that mm-hmm. potential lawsuit later down the road. That is now your problem, as yes. well as potential tax problems along with the business. <laughs> so, uh, which is another item too that can, that will get, you know, that's a, a great topic that we'll be touching on later too. That's a, and cannot be understated. Whereas an asset sale, you are mm-hmm. buying just the assets and typically forming a new entity. Mm-hmm. Therefore, the liabilities of the seller remain that of the seller, generally speaking. There are mm-hmm. some exceptions, for example, in Wisconsin, um, if there's unpaid sales tax, doesn't matter whether it's a stock sale or an asset sale, the unpaid sales tax can attach to the new owner regardless and pierce that. It's by oh, Wisconsin wow. statute. So not all states have that provision. So mm-hmm. you always want to make sure to check your state statutes too in regards if there's unpaid taxes, how that impacts mm-hmm. you. So that's mm-hmm. the legal ramifications. And then yeah. the tax ramifications get a lot more intricate, but basically mm-hmm. it's more tax favorable from a seller to sell the, the stock for capital gains purposes. For the buyer as an asset sale, they can write off a lot of the equipment faster, mm-hmm. whereas you cannot write off the cost of stock. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. And, and so this stock or asset uh, challenge only comes in if you're actually dealing with like, like with an LLC or a corporation kind of entity is where it comes in. Although I've seen in my area where it's actually been sold proprietorships that have been sold that where it based essentially you are just buying some assets and some blue sky and so on with it there. So uh, how about how about in that case with the with like the sole proprietors that sell that that never incorporated that still have a million dollars in sales or whatever, but but never became a corporation. Have you ever have you worked with something like that? Uh, once and with the sole proprietor from a um, from from that perspective is because there's no entity you're not buying the person of course so mm-hmm. there's nothing to buy in regards to an entity um, you know in that in which case you you're structuring it as an asset as an asset sale to buy the assets from that individual uh, typically assign a value to equipment um, if there's inventory and oftentimes the remaining part that you're really paying for is like customer lists um, mm-hmm. a client list goodwill which is that intangible you know that it's still worth something even though you can't really assign a specific value to a specific asset mm-hmm. and that ends up you you know and I usually recommend that if you're buying from a sole proprietor, you, you generally still want to set up an LLC or a, um, you know, or a corporation to take those assets on and try to shield yourself from the sole proprietor's um, prior liabilities. Oh, yeah, definitely. They're vitally important. Mm-hmm. So then, and you touched on it a little bit there. Now we're buying it and this, whether you're buying it from a sole proprietor, buying it from an LLC or a corporation or whatever, you still got to allocate purchase price. Because you can, you can have a, like a million dollar or $2 million sale, but how much goes where <laughs> or how much applies to, to what <laughs> each there. So what's how do we then turn around and make that allocation of the purchase price so that there are things like depreciation and amortization, those kind of areas will be, will be accounted for properly? 
that's a great question as well. And this part I actually enjoy being involved in. This is a great area too, that even if you're not involving the, you know, the, you know, so steps one and two, we talked about, you know, the value and the stock purchase and, you know, versus asset sales, sometimes between the client and the attorney, they've already gotten those two parts done. But I highly recommend if you're, if, if you haven't brought in your accountant or tax professional, CPA, EA at this point, mm-hmm. that you definitely do so at this point at the, at the asset allocation. Because the IRS actually allows a little bit of flexibility between the two parties to Mm -hmm. determine how they want to allocate that price. Because typically what's good for the buyer is not good for the seller and vice versa. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so the so the buyer, if you're buying a business, um, you can first recommend starting off if there's real estate to get an appraisal on the real estate, because then Mm -hmm. you have a good underlying solid number on a tangible asset that's readily effectively marketable um, if you're to sell. So that's your first step there. And then from there, you start looking at the rest and and determining how you can allocate um, you know, the purchase price. And generally from the buyer perspective, you want to see if you can negotiate allocating more to things like inventory and equipment and vehicles because you can write those off almost uh, very quickly or almost immediately um, mm-hmm. through various, various methods such as bonus depreciation, section 179, et cetera. Um, and whereas if you're allocating to intangibles um, as mm-hmm. the seller side, you want to try to negotiate if you can get more allocable to goodwill or client customer lists, because those are capital gains uh, from a tax perspective. But on the buyer side, you have to wait over 15 years to write that off. So the allocation is is uh, can be somewhat arbitrary between the two parties. But once they come mm-hmm. to an agreement, you're usually bound to that for both mm-hmm. um, for both legal and tax purposes. So before the pen, before the ink hits the paper, um, you know, you may end up going back and forth a little bit and talking to your, your accountants to determine what your tax exposure as or tax ramifications is mm. by certain allocations. Okay. Yes. And certainly this is another area where maybe you've encountered it, but I occasionally do see it where ones will start talking about these things, but forget to talk about their accountant or tax person about it because they just, they just don't for whatever reason, they get to all the other parties, but they, <laughs> they don't talk to their tax person about it. And then they come back to me later on saying, look what I did. I'm like, uh, kind of give them a blank stare and say, why'd you do this? And then explain the tax consequences to them afterwards because they didn't consult first. I, so I, you- I call those my cowboys. <laughs> they shoot first and ask later. So, yeah, and I have literally... I've literally seen um, an asset sale or a a business purchase literally written on notebook paper, something like this with a bunch of scribblies on it, you know, (laughs) just handwritten, signed here on a one page document. Um, And the question was, is is that binding? And the answer is it can be. Yes, it does. There's no like specific, like you don't have to have a a 20 page document for this to be binding. However, if there's a, if there is a disagreement, you're going to have a he said, she said problem later. Mm-hmm. But um, but yes, if by not bringing in your professionals, it could be costing you thousands of dollars in tax later mm-hmm. by either, you know, poor tax consequences, paying more tax upon the sale or being mm-hmm. in, unable to write off certain expenses uh, upon the purchase of the business. So, mm-hmm. you know, so it's kind of, I, I kind of classify it as the, uh, I think they call it the penny wise dollar stupid approach where, you know, what you save a few pennies up front by not bringing in some professionals may cost you thousands later. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I'm sure 
you've had that experience in, in a number of other areas, just as I've had it. People come to you after the fact, after doing some things. So, okay, now, since we were talking about wanting to reduce tax and on selling a business there, so you're the seller, you're wanting to reduce your tax. What's going to be the, the best way uh, we can do it? So on the seller perspective, this is an excellent point because the seller, again, you've worked hard to, you know, to build up um, your business and now you're looking mm-hmm. to sell. And the last thing you want is Uncle Sam coming in and taking 30 to 40% of your hard-earned money, you know, upon the sale. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, so at this point, there's things that can be done and some of them can be very simple. Um, so the, so one, one thing that I first start, I would like to ask is, is there real estate involved because Mm -hmm. if there's real estate involved in the business you can potentially structure a part of the purchase price to be what's for the real estate portion to be considered a like kind exchange Mm -hmm. meaning if maybe if there's another maybe if you want to go from owning a business to some passive rentals that you've identified that you know i want some passive income in retirement that you can potentially roll so that portion over Mm -hmm. tax-free another option that you can do is something called a seller financing uh, which is can be helpful tax perspective Mm -hmm. but on the same token uh, on the other side of the coin uh, you are now the bank for the buyer. So I usually mm-hmm. recommend a significant down payment so there's good mm-hmm. skin in the game. But mm-hmm. with the seller financing approach, for a lot of the gain, you can spread it out over mm-hmm. when, how you're making payments because our tax system is a graduated tax rate system. So if you're taking all the gain in one year, it's mm-hmm. going to push you through the tax brackets to be in a higher bracket than you've probably ever seen before. So, and that's where you truly feel a lot of the pain, but by spreading it out over years, you can, you can uh, reduce the tax overall that you pay. Mm-hmm. And it lasts, and then there's also more advanced techniques that um, that that can be done, um, such as uh, you know, like some people might look to certain types of trusts, and but that would say that kind of gets really involved and can be expensive to set up. And I would mm-hmm. say certainly talk to your attorneys and. Uh, tax professionals uh, before going down that route. Um, so, but those are kind of two common ways to reduce the tax upon the sale. Uh, another option too is, um, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, because you might be dealing with a lot of capital gains, some people might have a, a non-qualified stock portfolio, meaning it's an after-tax account mm-hmm. that um, what we call is tax loss harvesting, where if you have a bunch of loser stocks, you know, normally you're limited to $3,000 a year for when you mm-hmm. take a loss on stocks. But when you have capital gains, doesn't have to be from the sale of stock. It can be from the sale of business, sale of real mm-hmm. estate, that you can trigger those losses out of your portfolio to offset the gains from the sale of the business uh, to the extent it's allocable to capital gains. Keep in mind that if, from the seller's perspective, that if you are selling assets, Anything allocable to equipment and inventory, mm-hmm. you're typically going to have to pay tax in the year of sale, regardless mm-hmm. if you see the money, because that's just how the tax world works. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the IRS requires that to be paid up front. So if you are dealing with a substantial amount of what they call ordinary income items, you mm-hmm. want to get a sizable down payment to cover the tax bill on that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So basically what we're talking is that, that you mentioned about uh, in the tax world, it's known as an installment agreement, installment contract. 
that we go ahead and file. So the tax payer that's selling uh, would have the installment agreement set up and get the payments and do the reporting, which is why we're here to make sure that gets done correctly. He has some assets in the business that uh, don't fall under the installment contract, but and he didn't even get the money. I mean, he could have like a million dollar sale, $200,000 of that are other assets uh, that he didn't actually get the money for, but he would still have to pay tax on that 200,000, even though he didn't technically didn't get, get the money. Is that, is that what, what we're kind of saying here? That, that very well can happen. Yes. So like I had a situation where there was an, a, you know, in this case it was smaller dollar amounts, but $50,000 was allocable mm-hmm. to equipment, you know, mm-hmm. uh, of a, you know, that was that, um, you know, so that way the buyer can write it off. Uh, in this case, the sell, you know, the buyer was, or the, I should say the seller was fully aware of the ramifications mm-hmm. and we structured it well to uh, mm-hmm. reduce tax and they had some loss carry force to offset it uh, with careful tax planning, but for the unwary, that $50,000, that equipment you wrote off because mm-hmm. tax law allows you to write off equipment immediately, mm-hmm. you know, almost immediately. Yes. Um, the tax man cometh at the time of sale to say it's time to pay tax on that 50 grand you allocated to equipment, even if though you didn't get the money yet, because the, the tax law specifically states that the proceeds allocable to mm-hmm. equipment is not eligible for the installment reporting method. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then uh, a few years down the road, buyers good making payments and everything. You got a few years down the road in such a circumstance there. And the buyer decides, well, I can get a better interest rate at the bank than what you're giving me. So the bank, I'm going to pay off the whole lump sum here. Now that lump sum happens to include the funds that you've already paid taxes on for some of that equipment and stuff that you already pay tax on. So um, he's not going to have to pay taxes again getting that whole money is he correct right so upon the now so the proceeds allocable so that so that 50 grand in the example is talking about let's say that is Mm. exactly what happened that fifty thousand dollars you've already paid tax on so that establishes what's called basis in your Mm -hmm. note so and so basis is a a technical term we use in tax all the time to Mm -hmm. essentially you know to say that you've already paid tax on that element so you have after tax dollars in that asset in this case Mm -hmm. a note so you don't pay tax again uh, the rest that you haven't paid tax on will come due at that time. And a little thing I would recommend too is that when you're setting up your seller financing, carefully think if you want that option. You know, if you want to give that option to the buyer mm-hmm. to be able to refinance like that. Um, I had a situation that actually came up just recently with the low interest rates because she sold her business five mm-hmm. years ago. And in the contract, it only allows at the option of the seller to allow mm-hmm. a refinance. So the buyer was barred from reducing the interest rate or refinancing. So you wanna be careful of how you wanna structure that if you want to allow an option to refinance or if you want to give a period, maybe it's a, for example, common thing I've seen is like a 15 year amortization schedule or 15 year payment plan, but at year two and or checkpoints like year two and year four or year five, the at the option of buyer or seller or both if agreeable they can say, let's cash in and, you know, be done with this. So mm-hmm. you can structure the notes. Um, and that's where I say you want to bring in your attorney on uh, mm-hmm. to make sure that your that the note that you're structuring um, is intended, that it gives you the result that you want desiring. Mm, yes, yes. Oh, yeah, that is so important there. So especially in that year 
when, say, if that refinance does occur, that it gets calculated properly, or at least because they've been making these payments principles down, but you get then got to come back. You say you got the basis there in that loan now. So, but you're not going to take that full like two hundred thousand off out of a million dollar sale. You're going to have to prorate it according to the to what it is compared. That amount is compared to the to the rest of the items that are a part of that. Is that is that a correct assumption? Uh, correct. Yes. So you know. So essentially, if you have a multi-unit, like uh, they call it multi-assets, different classes that mm-hmm. you have an installment sale on or a payment plan on, you're going to allocate that. Um, you know, in kind of what we do internally is we have um, we pull out our spreadsheets that we're known for as accountants, right? We have our mm-hmm. we love our spreadsheets and we allocate <laughs> the payments according to each of these types of assets. So that way, part of it's a, you know you're not paying tax on, but the other parts mm-hmm. you are, uh, which also brings up to one point we haven't touched on. You want to make sure you have an adequate interest rate in your payment mm-hmm. plan. The IRS requires that you at least use the um, the midterm AFR rate for your, pay- mm-hmm. for your payment plans, which right now isn't a whole lot. Um, I think it's uh, around 1%. You know, it's, it's like 1.5%. It's mm-hmm. really low, but you're required to have some sort of interest rate. Um, it doesn't have to be as much as a bank. Mm-hmm. I personally recommend if you're the seller, to make it adequate to the bank. Um, maybe, you know, and if you're wanting, and depending on what you're desiring, sometimes I'll recommend make it what a bank would do plus one or 2% if you want to get the cash sooner, because, you know, maybe you don't want to carry the note. Because remember, if you're the seller, you mm-hmm. want to be able to walk away from this and have your money. That's first and foremost. I'm not going to say, you know, do this for tax purposes at the risk of losing hundreds of thousands of dollars on your on your sale. So, you know, so make sure that um, that taxes are important, but you also want to mm-hmm. make sure that ultimately you're getting your money according to your plan. Okay. Yes. And of course, you got to have the plan, which is why you need to talk to your accountant, your CPA, your enrolled agent, all of them before you go to sell or at least start building your plan. So you have a plan when it does come come that mm-hmm. time. And of course, included in that plan is that if you as the seller have unpaid taxes, <laughs> what happens with that? That's that's a great, and that, that happens uh, more often than you think. Um, so, and then from a buyer's perspective, you want to ask, you do want to do your due diligence and seeing if there are unpaid taxes uh, you, uh, for the business, you need to know about it. Uh, this is something that should be transparent. So it's a red flag if people are withholding information. You know, people should be, you should, the buyer and seller should be, need to be transparent in the financial situation, including taxes. So as the seller, if you, there's unpaid taxes, it depends on the type of tax because there's, you know, as we know in the, in the USA, there's a whole slew of different taxes. We got income tax, payroll tax, sales tax, and uh, county tax, property tax, you know, and, you know, and, and then death tax even in some situations, rare nowadays because the exemption so high um, for death tax. But nonetheless, um, the first step is what kind of tax it is because if there's unpaid taxes, I first like to look to first the most the ones that have most what you call nexus or the most immediate taxes to the business, such as payroll taxes and sales tax and unemployment tax. Um, you know, and I tend to find this that um, you know that the that there's. Um, uh, that the states are usually very aggressive in pursuing sales tax and unemployment tax. Mm-hmm. Um, and you probably experienced the same in Marcelino. Um, I, you know, so like uh, in Wisconsin, yes. I always joke that the IRS chase, chases you for 10 years. 
Wisconsin state, you know, the Wisconsin Department of Revenue will chase you for your life mm-hmm. until you're dead. And then unemployment will exhume your body and take what's left. So yeah, um, do you experience the same that in Colorado? That's, that's pretty much the same in Colorado. State tax department will, mm-hmm. or Colorado Department of Revenue will, will do. They're pretty aggressive on sales taxes. Mm-hmm. So upon the sale, what will happen is that um, if you have unpaid taxes, typically at that point, if it's been going on for a while, you're going to have a warrant or lien against your property. So the, mm-hmm. the tax man is going to take that money first. Now, if the buy, if that somehow slips through the cracks, you can have issues where they can chase you after as well. Or if you're the buyer, sometimes mm-hmm. maybe you're taking that on as part of the purchase price and paying that off. Um, so that's part of the proceeds. So let's say if you're a seller, and I've had a situation where um, where the sale, you know, where the the sale of the business it was so encumbered between debt and taxes that essentially mm-hmm. what happened is the buyer came along and said, "I'm going to I'm going to buy your business for a dollar," and that was the sale price because I'm going to take over your debt, your line of credit at the bank. I'm going to pay mm-hmm. off your taxes, and I hear and literally gave them a one dollar bill at closing said, here you mm-hmm. are. Um, my client has that in the, um, you know, he told me that he has that in his, um, in his, a, in his toolbox to remember. But um, essentially what happens, that's part of the sales price because they're taking over that debt. Um, so if somehow you try to work around, um, like a lot of people say, will ask, mm-hmm. well, how can I work around the tax man gets nothing? Well, you know, there are, you know, sometimes that, uh, that, you know, some people might go down some aggressive maneuvers, but keep in mind that oftentimes there are statutes where it gives flexibility, where the government can try to attach it to the buyer or seller, depending on the type of tax. And keep in mind, too, certain taxes are not dischargeable in bankruptcy, mm-hmm. um, especially what's called yes. trust fund taxes, like payroll taxes and yes. usually sales tax. They will not mm-hmm. go away in bankruptcy. Because you had the money at some point. Correct. Those, those, that sales tax and, and the payroll taxes, effectively the government views it as that's not your money. You know, the mm-hmm. fact, you know, the fact that you collected it doesn't matter. You held it in trust for the government. So, it, you know, it. Um, so, and then the fact that you went and spent it doesn't absolve you from that. Uh, effectively with payroll taxes, you're effectively indirectly considered stealing from the employees because you mm-hmm. withheld their taxes and were supposed to pay the government. So, so that's why they're so ferocious on those type of taxes and why it's not dischargeable. Mm-hmm. Yes. And um, we've all encountered those ones who didn't wisely pay those things. So uh, we it's, have to keep, keep after them. At least uh, my clients, any of my clients I work with, that's not a problem with, we, we don't allow that to happen. So uh, it yeah, only same. happens on new people coming into my office. We have to fix I completely agree. It's the same here. Usually that's where, um, you know, we're, we're, we're helping on the back end because they've come with this problem with taxes and, um, and maybe the person they're working with um, didn't offer that kind of resolution service or staying on top of that, or maybe they weren't working with anyone. And all mm-hmm. of a sudden, because the government, uh, you know how the speed of the government is, right? Um, how fast they are to respond, months can go by before something actually happens. And mm-hmm. at that point, you've already racked up quite a bit of debt. Yes. So let's uh, move on to, we talked about it a little bit there uh, with installment agreements as a way to finance their uh, or buyer or seller financing. So what's, what do we have in financing options if you are looking to purchase the business? 
All right. So financing options range, you know, obviously there's good old fashioned cash where you can just buy it for cash. But oftentimes uh, many of us don't have, um, you know, a million dollars walking around or a hundred thousand dollars in cash walking around in our pocket. So, you know, so oftentimes when buying a business, we're oftentimes borrowing that money or financing it in some shape or form. So the the first step is if uh, we're looking at seller financing, we already talked about that. And then, you know, which is, you know, the seller is essentially the bank at that point. Um, I write, you know, oftentimes the buyer puts down a down payment to the seller and there's a contract between the two where there's interest and payment schedule. So other options would be the next one up that most think about is a bank. You know, you go to a bank to get a loan. And depending on the type of business, some businesses are harder to finance than others. So, for example, bar and restaurants, typically banks shy away from um, because they, you know, uh, because a lot of bar restaurants fail within three years, you know, after Mm -hmm. opening. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed that too, Marcelino. Well, most of the ones I've worked with have uh, stuck around for at least three years. So, I've at least the ones I've worked with, I haven't seen that happen too much, but I definitely agree that that does happen. Wait a minute. There is one to come to think about. Yeah, it can happen. It does happen. You're right. Yep. I just had an idea. I just had the thought come to my mind of ones I've seen in just, just in my area of a come and go within the three years. Yeah. Yeah, I have one that uh, right here and, you know, where I live in Appleton, there's a location in downtown that's probably swapped out restaurant, like three or four restaurants in five years because they've failed so many times in that location. Um, Something Mm. about bad luck there. But in any case, because of various reasons, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, oftentimes banks will shy away from that um, or you have to find the right bank. Um, So the first step I would say is that depending, you know, if you're especially if you're buying a small business or you want to cater the the, the financing or the bank you're mm-hmm. choosing to the size of the business you're buying. So if you're dealing with a small business you're taking over, you probably want to be looking with a local or small bank or mid-sized mm-hmm. bank. Oftentimes, larger banks, you know, we all think that's all regulated, that they're all the same. That's not so much the case. Um, it's still alive today where you still need a good business plan and how you're mm-hmm. going to make the business profitable because you got to sell it to the bank as to mm-hmm. why they should give you the loan. And often Oftentimes, they're probably going to either go one of two routes. They're going to either do the conventional financing, which is the bank taking on the risk, or they're going to go with SBA, oftentimes Section 7A financing, mm-hmm. which is the SBA is involved, which provides some insurity to the bank in case of default. Um, and But the SBA oftentimes is, um, you know, has a lot of red tape that you have to go through in order to get those loans. So that's the next financing. And oftentimes it then depends if there's real estate involved. If there's real estate involved, you can potentially get a longer term on the note, mm-hmm. um, such as 20 years. Um, if there's no real estate involved, sometimes it's going to be harder to get a bank financing because there's no, it's hard, you know, the bank doesn't want to repossess, uh, mm-hmm. in the case of a bar, a bunch of bar equipment and stools. Real estate's more sellable. So, um, so in, in cases without real estate involved, sometimes mm-hmm. you're going to be limited to five to 10 years of financing terms. Mm-hmm. So again, you will need a sizable down payment. And then you can also want something too here that you can consider that essentially I'm working on one right now where it is a kind of a hybrid where Mm -hmm. it's seller financing for the first few years and over half the business is purchased, you know, in seller financing and with a, with a bank note. And then in in about three years, it'll convert to a full uh, SBA note because Mm -hmm. the rules are a little bit more lax. Once you've been an owner in the business for a couple Mm -hmm. of years and you've shown good results, they lose the, 
the SBA loosens up a little guidelines as far as what you can borrow. So sometimes a hybrid, if the buyer and seller can work together, a hybrid mm-hmm. can help that transition as well. Um, and you know, and then lastly too is something that I've seen, and um, I'm going to pose out a poise. A uh, you can also borrow from family. That's also an option too, which I've seen. You mm-hmm. can get a capital structure where if you have like five different people who want to invest and be silent partners, you can have that too. Um, so those take a little bit more knowing people. Some people, sometimes people have gone to crowdfunding, which is rare, but um, like GoFundMe, but that, you know, that's usually for new ideas as in buying yeah. an existing business. And then the one thing I want to point out, maybe you've come across it a few times yourself is uh, what's called a rollover in technical terms, we call it a rollover as business startups or ROBs. Essentially, you're, you know, it's a very complex way of doing it because, mm-hmm. um, you know, oftentimes we have a lot of significant retirement money, such as we built up 401k or IRAs mm-hmm. over the years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's a way that you can actually take that retirement money and start up your business without taking a distribution and paying tax on that. Mm-hmm. However, that comes with a lot of caution, in my opinion, because mm-hmm. there's a lot of regulation around that because you're usually setting up a 401k for that owns your company. And mm-hmm. at that point, if you run afoul of the rules, the IRS can essentially liquidate your company and, and have you pay about, you know, upwards towards half the value as a penalty um, for failure to comply with certain rules. So mm-hmm. if you come across that, because there are certain companies that offer that, mm-hmm. that uh, just to be just to be cautious that you can have a situation where you want to follow the rules to the T, as they say. Mm-hmm. Well, usually myself, I usually don't recommend using your retirement funds to start a business or invest into a business because that's that's a pretty that's pretty high risk for a person with, with their retirement funds to do. And I personally don't recommend it. I tried to actually talk a, a client out of it a few years ago, and sadly, they, they actually ended up losing about all their retirement mm-hmm. because of what happened with that business, because that business just didn't work out. And it was, but they had a tax bill. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know whatever happened with the whole thing because I just dealt with a part of it, but it's still, it's still a caution, at least from my standpoint. If you're considering using retirement funds to buy a business, Consider other options. Or maybe I, just don't buy the business. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I agree. If you're at risk of losing half your retirement to buy the business, um, maybe it's something you want to take a pass on. Um, they, you know, you want to really think hard on because you're putting your whole nest egg and what you've saved for for when you do retire all into mm-hmm. one basket. It's probably one of the riskiest moves you can do, and maybe you'd agree with that. Well, that's uh, I would call that the highest risk investment a person could make because even in the investment industry, it's what they call uh, small cap stocks are a higher risk than your large cap stocks, but this is even more risky than that small cap stock is. So definitely, at least from my standpoint, don't do it. It just wouldn't be a wise move. Now, one other area that I hadn't thought about, but I'm glad you, you mentioned it uh, in our discussions about asking for the seller's tax returns, or in this case, you say, or maybe even the buyer there. How does, is that something that we could, as a buyer or seller, be, be looking into? 
That's a great question. And yeah, oftentimes I do. Um, we'll recommend that as part of our due diligence program as far as making sure, because here's the thing. Um, let's say you're buying a business and you're asking for the financials. Um, the true test of, uh, that, to know, like, are those legitimate is, was that the same numbers reported to the government? Mm-hmm. And and I'm not asking for the personal information. Redact your social security numbers. Redact your mm-hmm. you know your address. But I want to see the name of the company matching with the you know with the uh, with the financials to make sure what you're getting is true. Because it could also give insight um, if you know if taxes are remaining unpaid. Um, so you have both the income tax and the, you know, and the uh, payroll taxes involved. And sometimes in small businesses, like very small, where they don't keep good financial records, the tax return might be the only thing that you can you can go off of. Um, I've had situations where, you know, and you probably have too, where buyer and seller agreed on a price without looking at any numbers whatsoever. So, yep, that's a good number. And there we go, <laughs> off the business. But in that case, yeah. Yeah, you can. And then especially if you're a seller and you're financing the mm-hmm. uh, purchase price from the buyer, um, you can ask for that because you need to know, just like a bank would ask for your tax returns for mm-hmm. financing, yes. you want to know, can they end up paying you? What's their income sources? What's, you know, and it won't give you the full picture, but it will give you what was reported to the government. Now, of course, what I highly recommend in all cases is that what's called a non-disclosure agreement or NDA is signed between the parties, agreeing that none of this information can be shared with any parties because, you know, obviously this is very sensitive information. And if the deal doesn't go through, you agree to go your separate ways and never talk about it with anyone uh, ever again. Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely there on the, ta- on the tax returns. And certainly if you're concerned about the personal information, these the, of course, some of the, especially if you're talking corporate tax returns or partnership tax returns, there's only a few pages of those that would really be necessary for a buyer or seller really to have access to. I mean, like in the case of an S Corp or a partnership LLC, they don't need to see the K-1s, how that was distributed. Correct. Right. You don't need to see the K-1s of all the owners and all their personal information. Just that the, the business tax return will have the key elements. Usually the first five pages are the first or six, depending on the on the type of entity, um, mm-hmm. are the most important uh, that you're looking at. Now, I usually recommend seeing the other schedules too, like depreciation schedules and whatnot to mm-hmm. see the assets involved. But you don't need to, to divulge all the personal info. Even if it's a sole proprietorship um, where mm-hmm. there's not a business corporate structure, there's only a few pages out of your personal tax return that contains the business info. And that's really what I'm looking for. I don't need to see what you're taking out of your retirement or, you know, what, uh, how many kids you have. That's not my prerogative. Um, But if you are, if I, if I am financing you, I do want to, if I am financing the buyer though, I do want to know what kind of income sources you do have um, in order to make sure that you can end up paying me. Um, So like if you have other like rental income, for example, I know you might have collateral or something that I can end up getting paid um, because there is a saying that applies across all the board. You can't squeeze blood out of a turnip. And uh, and if the person, even if you win a judgment against someone, if they have no assets, no collateral, all you have is a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. And certainly we want to be, be careful about that, which is why it's part of due diligence. Of course, as tax professionals, the due diligence we just do on people walking in the door is just very high, very tremendous. And 
we recommend that you as a buyer or seller, you do you take the same precautions when you're looking into a business and looking at the tax return is obviously a way to do that, that they can do that so that they know, okay, is this something I should move forward with? Or should I go back or say, oh, wait a minute, I need to do a little more research on this. Or of course, maybe this isn't the business for me. Correct. The, the purpose of asking for these is really to identify red flags. You know, if there's mm-hmm. anything that stands inconsistent with the information you're given and to, you know, determine that, uh, you know, unpaid taxes like we talked about earlier. Um, because especially if you're buying a, the stock of a company, and let's say mm-hmm. it's what's called a C corporation where the corporation is liable for the tax. And if you're buying the stock, you therefore become liable for unpaid taxes of the corporation. So it is important, uh, especially in a C corp sense, to uh, to ask for tax returns um, to to make sure that you're doing your due diligence you're not taking over liabilities that shouldn't mm-hmm. be yours mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is once again whether you're beginning a business buying a business selling a business you should really talk to your tax professional first at least that's how I feel about it after years of dealing with businesses finding out about them at tax time <laughs> I'm sure you have. We both have had times where uh, we find out um, there's someone that I've just been preparing. They maybe have some income wages every year and they come to me and April 1st and sit down with me and say, oh, forgot to tell you, I bought a business this year. And I said, what? <laughs> so, <laughs> um, probably should have had a conversation halfway through the year um, yeah. about that. You know, so even if you're a cowboy, at least tell me about it uh, prior to tax time. Yeah, at least at least then at least before December 31st, so we can figure out something. Because once December 31st comes and goes, you're stuck. Mm-hmm. All we can do is work with the numbers that are there. We can't, we can't change them or anything. So Correct. The chips fell where they fell after December, uh, once December 31st mm-hmm. rolls around. And especially yeah. if this is your new venture into a business, mm-hmm. there's a slew of taxes and self-employment mm-hmm. tax that you may face that mm-hmm. it's so important to talk to your tax professional, your CPA, accountant, yeah. EA, uh, to make sure that uh, you're not getting walloped with the tax bill you know, at April 15th. Yes, definitely there. And Gennaro, we do really want to thank you so much. There's so many good reminders, so much good information here that we've had today on whether you're buying a business or selling a business, tax strategies you need to use or things you need to keep in mind. Of course, the biggest one everyone should take from this is you need a tax professional if you're going to do this. And certainly uh, myself or Gennaro are are available uh, for this. How can ones reach you, Gennaro, if they want to reach you? So if, may, so if they wanted to reach me, you no, know, my uh, my email is uh, Gennaro, G-E-N-A-R-O, at HortonusCPA.com, spelled H-J-O-R-T-N is a Nancy, E-S-S-C-P-A.com, or easier, if you don't like all those syllables, is to do 920-725-1040. Okay, and thank you, Gennaro. And certainly, if anybody has questions about today's program or any of the programs on the Tax Answers Advisor, you're certainly welcome to email me directly, successcashtracksfinancial.com. You can visit cashtracksfinancial.com to schedule your free mutual exploration session. Once again, to see come together for both business and individual matters to help you as a taxpayer pay as little tax as possible. Of course, you can also give me a call here at 844-394-4287. Again, so much we thank you, Gennaro, for your time today and educating us all on 
getting past some of these headaches and problems with uh, buying and selling a business. And we'll talk to everyone again next week here at 9 a.m. Pacific. And certainly we really thank you for listening to the Tax Answers Advisor with Marcelino Dodge on the Voice America Business Channel. Thank you for listening to the Tax Answers Advisor with host Marcelino Dodge. We'll be back again next Thursday at 12 noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll have more to share next week.